I've got some really cool things to say, but before I say it, we talked a little bit this morning and realized that this is kind of a one-year anniversary for us, for when Tracy and I took over the church. It was, it was about a one, one year ago. It's the first week in March. Um, and I don't say that as though we've done something great, but, um, but the Lord has done some great things. I mean, uh, even during worship, um, and that's where he met me, and worship was, uh, was where we are today and kind of where we came, and I just want to share that briefly because uh, it's on my heart, and that's what I do. You know how it is. I never know what I'm going to do up here. It's a surprise to me, too. So, uh, but man, the Holy Spirit was just revealing to me, you know, when, when Tracy and I first talked about this and prayed about it and decided that we were going to do it, you know, there were, there were some obstacles. You guys remember the obstacles we had? Um, lots, of, lots of little things and a few big things. Um, but I started thinking about them, and you remember the building was for sale, but it's not anymore. <laughs> You remember um, the building was deteriorated. Now we're upgrading, and we've got the beautiful flower bed out front that we just finished, and we've got the, 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 the whole coffee area that we're still working on and completing. And I mean, you guys have just done such an awesome job helping and, and contributing to that. Um, and there's lots more that go along with that. But also, the, like the, I guess the biggest thing is just our spiritual journey. Just our journey through this whole year has been very interesting and awesome at the same time. Um, we've discovered much about ourselves as a couple and much about church life. Um, and not like we're trying to reinvent the wheel, but at the same time, you know, we felt pretty early on that they wanted to make sure uh, we were doing church the way the Holy Spirit was leading us to do church, not just the way that we saw church all the time. And so it's a little different here if you are visiting. Sometimes we just hang out. Sometimes we worship. You know, we just do a lot of different things. But we, at the beginning, I remember people asking me for a vision. What's your vision? What's your vision for the church? What's your vision for the church? And I remember being frustrated. Like, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what my vision, you know, I mean, I don't really, I don't have a distinct vision that I can give you. And I felt a little intimidated by that. Well, shouldn't I? Um, and I remember praying about it. And all I can remember were three things is we're going to have worship where people can come in here and encounter uh, the presence of the Lord and just have, be free to worship however you want. Sit down, stand up, speak in tongues, fall out, cry, whatever, take a nap. We have couches. But, I mean, we're going, to have, we're going to have worship where you can encounter the Lord however you, wherever he meets you, and we do that. Um, we're going to preach the gospel, which is the good news of grace through faith in, in Jesus, and we do that. And we're going to have outreaches, and basically all outreaches are, um, which we started to do it similarly that, that we did it years and years ago, but it wasn't clicking, and it didn't, especially after coming back from Honduras, um, I really want to do some more long-term stuff. Um, and so that's where the, the children's home outreach has started, and it's going awesome. And has I didn't I didn't plan on um, I really gave it to Katie and them so I wouldn't have to do it as much but I've been to every one so far and I'll probably go to as many as I can um, but the cool I didn't realize how affected I would be by seeing a lot of those kids um, and bringing me back to kind of where I was at that age uh, but those are the things that they're they're not I call them they're not as sexy as some of the outreaches you see on you know with the videos and everything there's nothing wrong with those. But these are every month, every month, every month. We're building relationships with these kids and, and with the staff, and we're blessing them every month. And they, they know that we're going to be consistent. We're going to be there. And that's incredible. It's such a blessing, and I'm just so thankful for you guys heading that up. Um, but, I mean, these things are happening now. Like, all of this has, you know, within a year, we've, we've done a pretty good bit, I think. I think we've done, um, I say we, not us. We together as a church have done some pretty amazing things. And the Lord has done some even more. I mean, you talk about impossible. I didn't know that we'd be able to still be here. You know, when we took it over as far as finances go and everything. I mean, there were some, some obstacles that I thought, Lord, if you don't intervene here, this isn't going to work. And he, he did it. He did it faithfully every time. All right, I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I'm going to start crying. <sighs> something funny. Let me think of something funny. All right. Um, we're going to talk about getting drunk. 
Uh, I'll get to it in a minute, but uh, I've got a few stories. Yeah, I'll let that sink in. I've got a few stories. Uh, you know, you, when I get a chance, I like to tell stories. I don't every Sunday, but when I was going through this, I thought of a, a few stories of my past. Um, like I said, I, I tell them because I know them pretty well because they, they're my experiences. But uh, as many of you know, we, I grew up in a father's home. He left us when we were younger. There was a lot of abuse, drugs, that old song and dance. Um, we moved around a lot, and, and we finally ended up in Westlake in a uh, single mother home, me and my sister and my mom. She worked literally from morning till night um, at a hotel, and uh, we lived in some like government-assisted housing there. And and I say it was rough, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, for the for for the most part, we felt pretty safe. I mean, there were there were some instances here and there, but for the most part, we felt pretty safe. And <clears throat> but in doing so, uh, apparently my uh, my memory's not the best, so you have to bear with me while I think about this. My uh, my mom's boss's husband—that's who it was. They were Christians and apparently knew our situation and wanted to help us. And they gave us some furniture and, and stuff. We moved in there and just blessed us. And then, uh, as most of you know, I love to hunt and fish and do. Out, I'm just kidding. I like to do those things. But one thing he did. Uh, one thing he did. He he invited me to go hunting and fishing with him because that's what most guys in the South do. I didn't care anything about that, but it was cool that he invited me, so I went with him and and it was really cool. Even though the things that we did weren't really my thing, I didn't really get into that kind of stuff. Um, but it felt good, um, just having kind of a father figure there. And we went out to this hunting camp, and and uh, we were hunting squirrel, I think. I don't know why we were hunting tree rats. We were hunting squirrel, and uh, we are in Louisiana, so we were probably making gumbo or something out of it. <laughs> I know, right? It was, it was, as far as I know, I ate it, and it was good. But, but we went out, and, you know, I'm a kid, and I'm shuffling around. They're like, shh, I don't know what to do. And I'm bored. I'm waiting for stuff. I want to shoot the bark off the trees. I don't, I don't care anything about hunting. <laughs> Um, but then he took, and then there was like this this river, and he took me fishing, and we went fishing. And I mean, it was a it was a long, neat area. I mean, it was it was a neat uh, experience for me, um, and I'll never forget it. it. It really meant a lot to me. <clears throat> and then later on, I guess it was months later, he invited me to go visit some family with him up in Ohio, and did the same thing. Took me fishing on, uh, which I did enjoy that trip because it was like a really fast bass boat, and so it went real fast, and like tears came out of my eyes. I was like, this is amazing. That's more my thing. I like to, you guys know, if it's got like a motor and some danger, I'm all in. <laughs> That's the only outdoors things I like to do is, is something with an engine and a little bit of danger, and I'm good. You're really fun and slightly terrifying. Yeah, exactly. I like that kind of stuff. And so, <clears throat> but he took me in. I mean, he really, he really brought me close to them, and I'll never forget that. I mean, it, it meant the world to me, and I think about it, you know, here and there when I'm, when I'm going through some of my memories, I just think about some of that stuff and how important that was. Now, at the same time in our lives, we lived in these, uh, this kind of complex, it's almost like an apartment complex, and my sister had gone, started going to this church with her friend. Um, many of you may have done this when you were younger. You go to, like, a youth group, and so you can hang out with your friends and do the cool stuff, and we had never been on any vacation, and they were going to go to, like, Six Flags, and so she was really excited about it, and I was really bummed because I was like, that's not fair, I'm going to go to Six Flags. Um, but at some point, this, this youth pastor, who I didn't know at all, um, and it was probably a great guy with great intentions, asked me to talk to him one afternoon, which is kind of creepy looking back because I just got in his car. I was like, okay. And he started talking to me about the Lord and giving me all these scriptures I didn't know anything about. And, you know, this was very foreign to me. I didn't, I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, I began to speak to him, and he led me through kind of the sinner's prayer thing. And I obliged just because he was an adult. And I thought, well, it seems like the proper thing to do. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, my soul's good. Um, but I didn't really get a grip on what was going on. Now, I say that to say... Uh, 
he didn't, he didn't really invest in me much, that youth pastor didn't. And not saying that he was a bad youth pastor. He was probably investing much in many other kids. Um, but I, I, I see, looking back, a big a stark contrast there and, and a bit of, of my frustration with a lot of modern-day churches and the way that we operate. Um, and, and I think I think we've gotten so far. And I had, a, I had a, a pastor friend of mine that I talked to for a couple hours. I was on the road the other day, and we talked about this, how sometimes we get in this church bubble. We begin to talk churchy and we begin to say these things and the outside world doesn't really get us and we don't really get them because we haven't really engaged them. And we want to try to convince them that they need to think the way that we think and we need to argue with them and fight them and all that. I don't think that's what we need to do. The, the reason I told you the two stories is the contrast there is, is if, if that guy that took me hunting and fishing, you know, would have been the one to lead me then, I think I probably would have had an experience because... I knew that guy cared about me. I knew that he took the time out of his life to, to invest in me. And that means something. There's something concrete there. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't have a radical experience and have the same exact thing with, that other, with the youth pastor in the car. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that in my experience up to this point, I'll be 40 this year. I've been saved half my life. I got saved when I was 20. And, and in my experience, in my 20 years, I've seen much more long-lasting uh, Christians who, who have not abandoned the church or left that have had real solid, good uh, relationships built. Does that make sense? So in saying all that, I, I, we're going to be in Colossians and Ephesians, Colossians 4, 5, and Ephesians 5, 15. Um, and we're going to bounce back, kind of back and forth between these two. Um, and we're going to talk, really we're talking about grace. I just did the drunk thing to kind of get your attention, but we will be talking about getting drunk too. So, yay. And I'll, I'll preface that with, I'm not even going to say it, who cares? Y'all get it? Um, Colossians 4, 5. It says, uh, be wise. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let that sink a minute. Sink in a minute. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Now, kind of, if you can put a ribbon there, if you've got a legit old school Bible, or uh, put a marker in your digital device, and jump over to Ephesians 5.15. It says, uh, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the Lord's will, what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauch, debauchery, <laughs> which leads to debauchery, um, which basically means reckless abandonment, uh, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, what, what a lot of people have done with this verse is they've taken that one little piece out of there and just said, don't get drunk. Have you all ever heard that? There it says, don't get drunk. Which I do believe you're, you don't need to get drunk. That's a no-brainer. Don't get drunk. It's foolish. But what happens when you get drunk? What happens to a man when he gets drunk? You lose all your inhibitions. You, you, uh, you're, you're reckless abandoned. You're completely abandoned. You're, you're almost outside of yourself. You know, you're not acting the way that you normally act, right? Um, I have lots of experience with this growing up. It's not, you're foolish usually. You make some bad decisions. It's not, it's not who you are, really. But it just comes out, and you make a lot, of, a lot of strange things happen. But you also gain confidence, right? It takes the edge off, they say. Um, you, you get more bold. 
right? A lot of things happen when you're drunk. He's, he's not talking, this specific scripture is not talking about not getting drunk. He's given, he's given a, a, a kind of a parallel here. And it's not even contrasting. It's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of showing you the difference, or not the difference, but it's kind of the same. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to tobacco, which is reckless abandonment. And instead, be filled with the Spirit or get drunk in the Spirit is basically what he's saying. He's, he's telling you the difference. Now, we, we, we kind of come back. We're going to back up and then we're going to go forward. We, both of these scriptures talk about um, being wise and making the most of opportunities, making the most of every opportunity, right? Basically, uh, in one of the versions, uh, I think it's New King James, says redeeming the time. So we all have the same amount of time, right? We all roughly have about the same amount of time every day. And I've talked to Chris about this when I talk about working out. He tells me how many, how many hours in a What is it? How many hours in a week? Yeah, you can you can spare a few. You can spare a few. You can you can give them three hours a week. So basically, we all have the same amount of time. Um, so how do we make the most of our time? So you look at the correlation between a man who's drunk. He's not himself. He's he's not scared. He's a little bit bolder and confident. Now we look at the correlation between those and walking in the spirit and being filled with the spirit. So what happens when we're filled in the spirit? We walk in a way that's completely that we're completely abandoned of ourselves, bold, fearless, and overconfident. Right. He's showing a parallel there that, that he's not just talking about not drinking. He's saying that we need to walk in the Spirit and we need to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And this is how we make the most of our time. This is, this is how we actually make the difference uh, in other people's lives. And so we look at, at Colossians 4, 6. We're going to go back a little bit. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Who is everyone? If you go back to verse 5, he's talking about outsiders here. He's saying we need to make the most out of how we speak to outsiders, unbelievers. Um, and there's a way to talk to outsiders. It's a waste of time. There's a way to talk to outsiders. It's not a waste of time. Now, what I experienced before I got saved and even after I got saved too, um, where a lot of Christians were like scared or intimidated by like people cussing around them or, you know what I mean? Or like, uh, like we would try to um, make people fit our mold. And this, this, this reminded me, and this still happens to me all the time, uh, I work in sales, and so I'm with a lot of different people. So when I go see these people, a lot of times they joke around, and, and I'm, I feel like I'm pretty normal, so I joke around with them, and we joke around or whatever, and then one of them, since some of them know that I'm a pastor, I don't just you know, come out and say, hey, I'm Pastor Justin, your salesman. But over time, when I get to know people, <laughs> yeah, when I get to know people, uh, it, it comes out because it's my life. It's part of my life. And so what will happen is, and this happens all the time, it happened just the other day, uh, is they'll joke around or whatever, and one of them will say, you know, a cuss word or whatever. Like, ooh, there's a man of God over there. You know, or, oh, don't say that in front of him. And I, and I always have the same reaction. I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I've heard it before. It's, it, it doesn't offend me. Um, because ultimately, I have much more confidence in myself, and ultimately, I have much more of a desire for their inward transformation than their outward, trans- or their outward you know, manipulation, basically. Because what, that, what, what outward manipulation does is it produces fake people. And then those fake people that we manipulate outside of church come into church, and then they're fake in church too. And then we end up with a bunch of hypocrites, and you know what Jesus talks about those. So what we do is, just like we talked about last week, we don't want to take off people's masks so they can put on another mask and come in and, and be fake again. It's not, it's, I don't think that's our calling, and I don't see it in Scripture. I don't think that's God's truth. So how do we waste time? If there's a good way to do it, I think he's telling us the good way. What's a bad way to do it? And we talked about it just then. Try to, trying to uh, uh, 
not trick, I don't know, I don't know the, the, the term, terminology I'm trying to use. Um, basically, we, we, we ignore the finished work of Christ and we try to make it happen on our own. Does that make sense? So we ignore the power of the Holy Spirit that we have and then we try to use our own ability to fix people. This is, this is especially hard with guys. I speak from experience because I want to fix people. Early on in my Christian walk, I wanted to shake people a lot. <laughs> Why don't you get this? This is good news. You should do what I do because <laughs> this is great. And I probably did shake a few people inadvertently. But have you ever felt like that? Why doesn't my family members see this? Why don't they see that it's better here? Please see this. And you get so frustrated because you want to do it in your own strength. And I, I, I say this because in almost 20 years of doing this, when, when, you, when you approach people by shaming them and guilting them and calling out all of their problems and all their issues and all of their sins, um, it's like you're trying to break them. And at the very end of it all, you spend months trying to break them. And then you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, Jesus died for all those sins. And they're going, why didn't you tell me that in the beginning? <laughs> why have you made me feel so bad for so long? It's like we have to convince people that they're wrong. And I tell you all over and over again, I didn't need convincing that I was bad. I was fully aware of how bad I was. No, nobody needed to convince me of that. But it was God's goodness and his love that changed me. It's his goodness that led me to repentance. It's his goodness that changed everything about me. It's his kingdom that came to live in my heart that radically transformed me, that I wasn't the same person. And speaking of cussing, this was, this was one of the things that I grew up cussing a lot. And I don't want to drive a stake in the ground about this. It's just my personal experience. Everybody has different experiences in this, but it was just part of my language. It's just the way we talked. Well, I remember when I got into high school, I thought, I sound unintelligent. I need to stop doing that. So I tried really hard, but it always came out. You know, at the, at the times when you're frustrated or, you know, you can't think of a uh or another word, it was just naturally just come out. It's like, oh, uh, come back. And, uh, and I couldn't ever do it on my own. And to, one of the many things the Lord did for me was when, when, when I was born again, he took that from me. And I remember two, two or three weeks after that, I remember going, I haven't cussed in three weeks. This is so strange. Did it? Same thing happened to you? Yeah. 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 And I, and I've done it recently. Like I've just to myself, I've like cussed just to see if I could still do it. But it's so. But it's so, <laughs> bad, pastor. But it's so unnatural for me. It just sounds funny. It's, it just sounds weird. It's like ah, that doesn't sound right. Um, but anyway. <laughs> I didn't want to drive a stake in the ground on cussing. It's not really a big deal. But, I th- but it was one of those little things that the Lord did for me. He does, he does that stuff for everybody a little bit differently. But for me, it was pretty interesting how it worked out. Um, so anyway, we, we, we don't need to try to constrain people's behavior to change them in our own power because we can't do that. We'll, we'll be frustrated and they'll be aggravated <laughs> and it won't work out. We have to trust. Either, you, either we trust the Holy Spirit or we don't. Either he's going to do his work, same work he did in me. He attracted me to him. He was chasing me. I wasn't looking for him. <laughs> I was going the other way. I don't have anything to do with it. Um, but he was attractive to me. Uh, all of creation just groans and wants and, and needs uh, a relationship with its creator. This is not something you have to work hard at. It's there already. You just need to awaken it, really. You just need to speak, speak it. Um, so expect people's behavior to change uh, when we're around. Um, anyway, I wrote down everything I just said. <laughs> But I said it out of memory. I'm a genius. Uh, look at verse 6. It says, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Full of grace. Full of grace. It's easy to say to someone that I know that's a Christian, um, you know, the favor of God be on you. You should be, you know, uh, Lord bless you. You are righteous. 
But why is it so hard to say to a lost, to a lost person? Why can't, we, why can't we start with that? Why can't we call out their true identity? Why can't we call out what the Holy Spirit is calling out in them? That, that's the kind of love that's radical. When you make statements like that, it sounds unnatural because at the present time, they're not, they're not in a place where they are right with God or they're not in a righteous place, but that's where they need to be. And that's deep down who they want to be. But they, in the same way you couldn't do it, they can't do it on their own either. But we start with all the bad stuff because we default to the negative all the time. Um, I've told y'all before, it seems like, I don't know why that's our default. When we have, we have three girls and one of them's a little more rambunctious than the other and she's more hard-headed, she's more like me. But, but everyone always, and I always call them out on it, don't, don't, don't speak that over her. They say, well, she's going to be a trouble child. She's going to give you all kinds of issues. She can do this. Why do you... Why don't we defer to the negative? Why is, not, why is she not going to be a powerful young leader? Why is she not going to come up and be uh, a, 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 just a powerful young woman that's going to, that's going to be hard-headed and, and do some great things? Amen. Why do we default to the negative all the time? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. We shouldn't. Stop it. <laughs> so we should be full of grace. Um, so what is grace? We know all the definitions, the biblical definitions, but basically... We know uh, that grace is basically unmerited favor. It's something that we can't earn, that we can't get. It's something that's given to us for free. Um, and it's very radical in nature as well. It doesn't make any sense. It's counterintuitive to our, uh, our cultural boundaries of where we live. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's not, a, it's not a trade. It's completely free. And we, we balance. We, we look at the difference between this and mercy. Mercy would be um, that I deserve something, but he doesn't give it to me. Grace is... Not only does he not give me what I, what I deserve, he takes everything on himself and he leads me. And, and the, I thought about this. Uh, there were a couple times when I was, in, I was in high school, and I was fairly mischievous, I'll be honest. I was fairly mischievous, and uh, I was living on Dolphin Island, and I pulled out of my driveway. I was addicted to Dr. Pepper, which is now Tracy's thing. I don't know why. But I, I would wake up, I think it was a Sunday morning, actually. I obviously wasn't going to church, but Sunday morning, and I was going to go to Circle K and get a Dr. Pepper. I was thirsty, and we were out of them. So I literally pulled out of my driveway, and as soon as I looked in the rear mirror, there was a cop behind me with his lights on. I was like, I could not have possibly done anything yet. So I pulled over, and, uh, and he got out of the car, and, and I knew him. His name was Buddy. He lived next door to me. Um, but he was like, hey, we got a report that you guys were shooting bottle rockets at pedestrians yesterday. And I was like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> we were not doing that. No. And he was like, what is that all of your dash and your floorboard? And I was like, bottle rockets. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and he started laughing. And I was like, listen, <laughs> listen, Linda. No, listen. <laughs> I, we weren't shooting bottle rockets at pedestrians. We were shooting them at each other. It was like a war. We were driving down the road and shooting bottle. I don't recommend that to people, but that's what we were doing. We we're shooting them at each other, not at pedestrians. <laughs> Please have mercy on me. So that's mercy. You're asking for mercy. But grace would have been, you know, not only to let me off, but he would get in front of me and, like, drive 100 miles an hour and let me go behind him. That's grace. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Grace is better than mercy. But I was begging for mercy. And many, I could tell you many other stories where I begged for mercy from policemen, but I'm not going to bore you with all those details. <laughs> but we weren't shooting them at, at innocent people. It was at people that we knew. They were expecting <laughs> bottle rockets to be shot at them. It started with, I don't even know why I'm talking about this. It started with, I started it with donuts. Shipping shore on Dolphin Island, this doesn't have anything to do with my sermon, but I have to tell you. Used to sell this huge bag of powdered donuts, which is a complete waste of food, I'm sorry. But it was a huge bag of powdered donuts. Who needs that many donuts? For like two bucks or something. 
And so I, I bought them, and we started throwing them at each other, driving down the because we're bored on Dolphin Island, nothing else to do. We couldn't afford gas. So we'd start throwing them at each other, and that's how it started, and then escalated bottle rockets. <laughs> but not at innocent pedestrians, just at each other. It's collateral damage. They shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have been there. <laughs> so many stories are going through my head y'all don't need to know about. All right. Mercy, let's see. When we talk to outsiders, <laughs> when, we talk, when we talk to outsiders, talk to them with grace. We shouldn't make them earn it. <laughs> we shouldn't make them earn our kindness. We shouldn't make them earn our forgiveness. Paul is saying anything less than grace is a waste of your time. How many times have we done that? We... we we step outside of this understanding of how much grace and how much love and how, uh, how much unmerited favor God's given us, and we expect people to do more than we could even do. Sounds very pharisaical. But, but we can fall into that too. We, we can get to a place where we think, you should know better than this, kind of, you know, that kind of attitude. And I'm, I'm just as guilty as you are. But what good does it do just to beat people up and beat people up and beat people up and beat people up? Especially people that, that aren't familiar with how good God is. Y'all heard my story, uh, I don't know if I told you last week, whenever it was, um, when, when my friend Jarrett got to know me for a year and a half, um, and all the times that, that people had told me about the Lord, none of them ever got to know me. None of them ever spent the time to, to see where I was in life or to build a relationship with me um, and to meet me right where I was. And what I found out later on in life, I didn't know what was happening, but Jarrett was revealing the Father's heart for me. He was just getting to know me. He was just hanging out with me. He was just talking to me. But he was revealing and crushing all the lies of the enemy, talking about how bad God was and how mad he was at me. And he was, he was demonstrating a love through, through the Holy Spirit that was in him, and I was attracted to that. I was attracted to that Holy Spirit, and it was very real to me. A lot of things that we talked about went against my lifestyle at the time, but there was just something there. There was something that he had that I wanted, and I was really a lot curious trying to figure out what it was. What's your angle? <laughs> Everybody's got an angle. What, what, are you trying, what are you trying to get out of me? You're trying to get, you know, what is it, you know? But what he did, all he did was he just showed me that God could love me right in the midst of, of how bad I was. And that changed me. That radically changed me. Um, but it was that, that reality of, of God's reality over our own. So I guess our, our question is, are we ministering grace to people? Uh, we don't want to minister shame, guilt, and condemnation. Uh, unfortunately, some people do it and call it truth. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. You know, we, we, need to, we need to give them the truth. A lot of people with picket signs <laughs> will have that angle. I'm just giving them the truth, brother. We just need to give them the truth. Tell them the truth. What truth are you telling them? Are you telling them the truth about their, their limited uh, reality? Or are you going to tell them the truth about their unlimited God reality? What truth are you telling them? So when I see Jesus minister to people, uh, <laughs> to, minister, to minister to people in their truth, um, that, they, that where they are and their lives are bad and, and they're, they're not doing good things, when he opens his mouth, he speaks absolute grace and his never-ending truth. He speaks his reality into their reality. He speaks his kingdom and it crashes into their kingdom. He speaks, he speaks God's deep truth. He speaks real truth. He speaks grace and truth. Not our own version, our own perspective, our own ideas of truth. He speaks the truth. So we're going to back up just a little bit, back to verse 6, talking about seasoned with salt. This isn't pouring salt on an open wound, same reason we talked about heaping coals before. 
these, are, these aren't bad things. When he's talking about salt, he was speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. In Jewish covenant, when they would cut covenant, a lot of times they would use salt in the ceremony. The, the, the ceremony was, uh, it meant it was like an everlasting, it was a preservative. You know how salt's a preservative for meat? This was a representation of an everlasting preservative. This is going to be everlasting. It was also a prophetic word to, uh, you know, the next generation. The, the uh, what was uh, Matthew 5.13, when Jesus talked about Sermon on the Mount, you're the salt of the earth, and if, if you lose it and you're no good, but if you're trodden underfoot, he was talking about the, the next generation was, uh, the, the temple was going to fall and everything was going to happen and that there was going to be no, he, that, was, that was completely different. This isn't what he's talking about. He was calling them salt. This, this is completely different. What he's talking about is seasoned with salt, an everlasting truth. What he's saying is when you speak to people, you speak an everlasting truth. You season it with truth. You speak with grace and truth. So it's an everlasting truth of, of God's truth for them. So this truth is good news, right? This isn't hard to tell people good news. It's not... It shouldn't be arm-twisting and manipulating to tell them the good news about them and what God has for them. So, God, so Paul's not calling you salt. <laughs> He's saying, let your talks of grace be seasoned with salt. So salt will be sprinkled in the, the covenant ceremony because salt is a symbol of lasting concord and it preserves something unchanged. <clears throat> so what we do is we speak. I like that. We speak an unchanging truth into people's lives, not a changing reality. Listen to that. We speak an unchanging truth into people's lives, not a changing reality. What happens to us every day? We get hurt. We get frustrated. Our realities kind of shift. We get sad. We get happy. What, what changes people's lives? Something solid they can hang on to, a rock that they can hang on to, a truth that's everlasting, a, a grace that is sprinkled with the salt of, of everlasting truth in their life. That radically changes people, not just adjusting their behavior here and there so they fit our mold of what we think they should look like. So we learn scriptures. This is what me and my, my friend talked about because we're, you know, as pastors, what's our goal? What do we want to do? And, and he has more of, a, of an old school perspective on that because we always end up, well, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to tell people? And he's like, well, they need to read their Bible more and they need to pray more. And I remember, I mean, that was, that was the two things. You need to read your Bible more and you need to pray more. Read your Bible, pray more. Both of those things are great, and I hope you do lots of those. But there are lots of people who, who do both of those things and don't have that relationship. They read and read and read and read and pray and pray and pray in their own ability, and they think that they're going to manufacture all this stuff, and they're just as frustrated as anybody else. Because what happens is we've put so much emphasis on those two things, we haven't built relationships with people and actually talk to them and see where they are and answer the hard questions and deal with the issues that they have, and all we've told them is go read and pray. Okay. I'm not saying the Lord can't use that. I'm not, I, I can't tell you all every piece of doctrine and theology in one Sunday, but, but hear me in this. There's much more than just memorizing Scripture for memorizing Scripture. And there's much more than just praying, thinking that, that your fervent prayer is going to make a big difference when God's the one that does it, when God's the one that brings in Greece, when God's the one that actually meets us where we are. When, when his word, when you read through a scripture, you don't just quote a scripture, you hear the heart behind what he's saying and the context of what he's saying. And you take that, and you don't have to use every word he said, but you know what he means in this. You really do, and you feel it in your spirit, and you can speak to someone. Uh, Jared, my friend who, uh, who witnessed to me when I got saved, it was... I'd been saved maybe a month or two, and there was some girl that worked in another department at our work, and he had, been, he had been trying to minister to her as well. It worked really well with me, but for some reason he couldn't get through to her. Maybe I was more inquisitive or I was more curious or she wasn't. She's, it was just like a wall. And I don't remember what the analogy was. I was going, we were clocking out or something, I was going by her, 
And somehow she asked me about something, we got into a conversation, and it led to something else. And I gave her some kind of just real basic, simple, I mean, you guys know me, some cartoon analogy, something, some movie quote or something. And it clicked with her. And we just had a, like a 30 or 45 minute long conversation. He overheard it as he was walking by. And after work, he was like, man, what did you say to her? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I just was telling her about this. And then somehow it came up and it led to this and led to this. And we talked. And I was reminded of the scripture, but I just, I relayed what I was saying. I just used a movie quote or something for it. And she got it. And he was like, man, I've been trying to talk to her for months. And she's just nothing. And it seemed like she was really engaged and she was listening to what you had to say. And, and he was curious how I did it. And it wasn't me. I mean, that was the Holy Spirit. The same way the Holy Spirit worked through him to me. Now, now I had it, and I was doing without even trying. It just sort of happened. You know what I mean? But I had, I had been studying. I was trying to catch up because I didn't know all the scriptures. I was like, I need to catch up. I need to learn all this stuff. I was still figuring out how all this worked. And so I was reading, but I, but I would see the heart of God for me, and I wanted to share that with people. And I didn't know all the terminology. I didn't know the these and the thous. I didn't know... Um, you know, I wasn't in my prayer closet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't know all these things. But what I knew was God had done something for me, and I, need, I, I wanted to share that with other people. It's not difficult. It's not nearly as difficult as we made it. Um, so read that we know the Father's heart. We need to know and share what Jesus did for us. Surely he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. We need to speak that truth. We need to pour that into people's lives. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.12, uh, Solomon says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. This is, from, this is from Old Testament before grace actually came in bodily form in Jesus, they were saying this. We need to speak grace to people. This is a wise man. A, a lot of people will try to divorce grace from good, sound biblical doctrine, but it's not. Grace is good, sound biblical doctrine. Grace is Jesus. It's not, they can't be separated. This is, this is the reality that we're in. So our question is, are we speaking to people from an unchanging reality? Are we speaking the truth of Christ? Are we, speak, are we speaking to people in direct proportional response to the way that they speak to you? And this is, this is a, more of a personal thing. Are our actions justified by their actions? Do we react to people? Why do we make people pay for something that we got for free? The way you treat people should be a direct reflection of how the Father treats you. This is why when we come in here and we worship and we say you're a good Father and you're a good God, we're just reminding ourselves of that reality in our hearts. He's there. And so when we worship, we just, we just, we're just uh, proclaiming that and confessing that. You are good. You are good. You are good. And it reminds us of how good he is. Then when we go out there, we can tell other people of how good he is. Because he's got a bit of a bad rap. <laughs> he really has. He's, he's got a bit of a bad rap. Um, Colossians 4.29 says uh, let no corrupt word and he's not talking about cussing here <laughs> this is, it goes deeper than that let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption now look, what's right in the middle? What do you think grieves the Holy Spirit? What's right in the middle of those two scriptures? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then right after that, verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now right in the middle of that, it's saying that, what do you think grieves the Holy Spirit? The opposite of those two things. Not speaking, not imparting grace. Being bitter, being angry. 
Verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is the whole reflection thing. This is why as much as the WWJD movement wanted to help us, it really just made us feel worse. <laughs> like, oh man, he probably wouldn't have done that. <laughs> it was with good intentions we wanted to try to constrain ourselves outwardly by reminding ourselves of what, what Jesus would do. But it's the difference in trying to um, imitate Christ and knowing that Christ lives in us and we just reflect his goodness. It seems like the same thing, but it's not. We reflect his goodness because we abide. I mean, we were talking about abiding in the vine. If you see me lit, it's because I'm plugged in. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of who he is in me. We're connected. This is, a, this is my reality. It's not what I've heard in church, like he's far, far away in heaven. You'll see him one day, but let's try to be like him, which is pretty impossible by ourselves. But it's an, in, it's an inward knowing that he's with us, and it, it's the changing of our minds coming outward, not be careful what you see, but knowing that who we are and we can let it out. It's the knowing, that intimate knowing of Christ in us. So you're the temple of God, righteous, moving around on earth, communicating the heart of God. That's who you are. You want to know your, your purpose? We all want to know purpose. Remember Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Lives, a bestseller. We all want to know our purpose. That's your purpose. You are called, you are righteous, you are a temple of God, and you are called to share that with other people. So how do we treat people? Jesus told the disciples, you have been made clean by the words I have spoken to you. What kind of words are you speaking to people? I alluded to this last week about praying for Tracy. A lot of times when we text and talk during the week, I'll say, I hope you have a good day. I don't know if y'all do that. hope you have a good day. And I've tried to change. We've sent a few texts this week, and I've tried to not say, I hope you have a good day. And I just try to speak righteous to her, righteousness to her. I try to... Um, and Ephesians talked about that. It talks about husbands, love your wives. Uh, speak good things over them. In the same way, we should do the same thing with other people. We speak good words over people. We bless people. We speak grace. We speak God's truth over them. Grace isn't cheap and it's not weak. It's the very power that God gives us to radically approach those around us with boldness and love. Um. Grace puts you in a really peculiar, peculiar position. It takes away all of the excuses that you have because you're not good enough or you're not strong enough, and it puts you in this place of, of, a, of a drunk guy, <laughs> of a spirit drunk guy that's bold now because he's running around in reckless abandon <laughs> and he's not acting like himself. What, what, what did people call the early church? They called them fools. Look at these people. They're drunk. <laughs> They're crazy. What are they doing? This is foolishness. But we're not of this kingdom. We're of another kingdom. We, we get to walk around filled with the Holy Spirit and share that with other people. We essentially get to walk around, sounds a little weird, we essentially get to walk around drunk and invite people to the party. <laughs> I mean, spiritually speaking, that's what we do. We get to walk around with a greater joy <laughs> a greater fulfillment, a greater purpose in our lives. But the only thing we have to be careful of is we don't hold that over other people's heads and make them feel bad that they're not as good as we are. That's what's crippled the church, I think, for years. All we need to do is reveal it to people and show it to them. We trust the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we either trust Him or we don't. We trust the Holy Spirit to do a work in their lives, 
and we walk with them and we get to know them and we disciple them through how? Relationship. Not religion, not constraint, not these rules that we think are the right way, but we build relationships with people and we love them. And when life happens, we're there for them. And a lot of times they end up being there for you. It's funny how it works out. I can, I can attest to that with you guys. There's been times where you guys were going through some of the worst times in your lives and then something happens to us and you bless us. Like, how, are, how does that work? So I'm telling you, when we do these things, it's really fun. It's, it's not as scary, especially when you have the Holy Spirit because it gives you that boldness. And it gives you that, that, that strange confidence that you don't even understand that, that you, can, you can just talk to people. You can, and I always say this. I used to say this in youth for years. Don't put too much confidence in your personality. It can change. Listen, I was a quiet kid. I was very reserved for years. Yeah, I know. It's funny. I was very quiet. I was very angry, too, most of the time. I don't even know why I was so angry. But I was very angry. I was very quiet. Justin, <laughs> Waukeza Justin Benoit in, you know, 1989, 1990, or whenever it was, was not the same that I am now. And there are many people out there that have the new them desiring to come out. And all you, all you need to do is call it up in them. All you need to do is call it up in them. Something about potential. You guys know I work on cars, and I love taking an old car or a jet ski or something that, that's about to go to the crusher or go to the dump and restoring it, bringing it back to life, and hearing the engine crank up for the first time. Like, yes, this is amazing. There's something about seeing potential. You know, this, all analogies break down, but for me, I, I, it's very visual for me. I can feel that. When I hear that engine crank up or when I, when I see it and I step back after I've done all the work to it or just, you know, I, I just see it, and it's like, wow. A lot of people didn't see the potential in that. This is who we are as Christians. We, we should see people at their, at their best, even when they're at their worst. This is what Christ did when he walked the earth. He saw people at their best even when they were at their worst. This is what Christ did for you if you've been born again. He saw you at your best even when you were at your worst. This is, this is what we're called to do. Guys, stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we've... we've uh, We've complicated a simple message. <laughs> we just look at you and we, we read the scriptures about what you did and you, you walked in and out of cities and you healed people and you, rose, you, uh, you brought people back from the dead and, and uh, you prayed for them and you taught them and you spent time with them and you ate with them, even the ones that they criticized you for. Why are you eating with those people? Why are you hanging out with those people? Lord, open our eyes. <laughs> Father, open our eyes to your reality. Father, help us to, to speak your truth, Lord, to, to speak full of grace, sprinkled with the salt that is your everlasting truth. Lord, help us to see your perspective and, and, uh, and see your potential in people that's above and beyond what, what they can even see of themselves. Lord, help us to call up people, and, and as we leave this place, this is just a gathering to, to, uh, to talk about what we do and why we do it. But real life happens when we leave this place. And so I pray for God encounters as we leave here. And I hear stories all the time. People text me and call me and give me stories. Even this morning I heard a story about a, just a, a, a God encounter that, that was just awesome. Lord, I just pray for, for you to open our eyes to those. To see that person, that coworker, worker that, that, uh, even that, uh, that jerk. 
even that guy that's, that's, that's mean and vindictive and, and bitter. Lord, you say it's, it's easy for us to love the ones that love us, but you've given us something greater than that. So Lord, help us see the potential in that jerk. Help us to see the, the, uh, the goodness in, in that hateful person. Lord, help us to see it beyond our own insecurities and our own offenses. Lord, help us to see it to that guy that cusses all the time. Help us to see through it and see the goodness in him. Lord, stir in us your Holy Spirit. And don't let us turn, turn away from those opportunities. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Ooh.